Thank you, Heidi. In communication with our pastor this morning, he was telling me that the church he is attending is the church where his son-in-law is the worship leader. And so uh, he is uh, attending a church today where he has family leading worship, and he is pastoring a church where he has family leading worship. And kind of like what Rob mentioned uh, earlier, he misses misses us. He is... uh, among believers, worshiping God, of course, this morning, but he says part of his heart is still here in Salinas and uh, thinking about and praying for the, the flock that uh, he is pastoring. Open your Bibles, please, this morning to Matthew chapter 13. This morning we're going to be looking at the third sermon in our series, Kingdom of God. The lesson this morning is titled, From the Ground Up, because it's not only the first parable, but it deals with the very origins of the kingdom. And, you know, living here in Salinas, the salad bowl of the world, there's plenty in this parable that we will all be familiar with. But don't be fooled. The narrative of this parable has immediate application, and it has eternal consequence. Some of the first hearers of this parable got the point and some did not. To some, it was nothing more than an elementary lesson in agriculture. Others had their lives changed. They heard Jesus speaking and knew he was the master and he would forever be Lord of their lives. So let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this opportunity to open your word. Father, we ask that you open all of our hearts, as well as our ears and our our eyes, to see what you would have for us, the lesson that you have prepared for each one of us in our own context of serving you. And Father, we will give you all the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 13 if you're there right now, opens in the first two verses saying, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Now, as I understand the topography in that area where the water is and then the shore kind of rose up uh, around it. So Jesus could be in this boat sitting down, and then the crowd is like an amphitheater going up the, the beach around. So as he sat, everybody else has a clear view of him sitting around them, and he has a clear view of, of them standing on the beach. Now, Galilee obviously has uh, the major industry is farming and, and some fishing. And in that place where it's a limited population, a great crowd was something that was uncommon. And so for one to gather in a crowd on the shore, listening to a man teach while sitting in a small boat would be uncommon indeed. So we have to ask the question, why was this happening on that same day? Early in the day, In chapter 11, Jesus is preaching judgment to unrepentant cities in the area, including Capernaum, which, if you remember, is his uh, 
what do you say, ministry headquarters. In verses 25 and 27 of 25 through 27 in chapter 11, Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. And I just say these things means the truths that are concerning the Messiah from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Jesus reveals that the knowledge of the kingdom has been hidden from the wise and intelligent and given to little children. This is important because it confirms that not one of us are believers simply because we happen to be more intelligent than non-believers. We are here because our eyes were opened to see and our ears were opened to hear. To receive the Lord as Savior, we must come to him as a child. We must come to him as a child because a child believes what a person they trust has to say to them. And we believe what Jesus has to say to us because we believe in the one who sent Jesus to teach the gospel to us. This is the faith that we share. This is not a childish faith. This is a childlike faith. No one comes to the Father simply because he is wise or intelligent. In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Peter replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answers Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Continuing on in chapter 11, the next verse, verse 28, Jesus issues a gospel invitation. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this invitation continues to speak directly from God's word throughout the world to all who would come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. It is a wonderful invitation, a wonderful invitation for the Lord to, from the Lord for us to believe and come to faith in the Messiah as our Savior. However, Throughout this chapter, chapter 12, we, we continue to see that people resist coming to faith in the gospel of Christ. This wonderful invitation given by Jesus to everyone is not just being ignored, it's absolutely being rejected. In fact, in verse 14, we read, it's a Sabbath. No one is recognizing the Lord of the Sabbath as the Lord of the Sabbath is traveling through the country, preaching the kingdom of his Father, healing the sick, and performing other miracles. Verse 14 says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. They were conspiring how to destroy him. And in verse 34, Jesus answers, 
you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? My friends, this is why on this same day we see a crowd on the shore and Jesus sitting in the boat. There's anxiety in the air. Many in the crowd are not there to respond in faith to the Lord. They're there because there is controversy following Jesus. And controversy draws a crowd. So you just imagine what the disciples are thinking at that time as this crowd gathers and Jesus is sitting in that boat. We don't know yet, but we can think. What are they thinking? We know they're watching carefully. What is Jesus going to do? He, he has to do something to combat this growing controversy, and here is the perfect chance to address it. Verse 3, chapter 13, verses 3 through 9, Jesus speaks. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples had to be thinking, what did Jesus just do? I'm sure they wanted to comment, but they are unsure of what to say. Maybe something like, what a lost opportunity. Look at this crowd all surrounding Jesus, waiting for him to talk to them. He has the opportunity to, to preach, to teach, to, to tell all these people about the kingdom. And he talks about farming. The disciples sometimes are kind of like us. You know, we, we, we tend to equate a, a crowd with, with importance. Boy, there's a crowd here. What they're saying must be true. And in a secular context, that may be true. However, in the kingdom of God, a crowd, or, or even a church, if you will, cannot be judged by the number of people present. The only way to judge it is by the personal and congregational commitment to the Lord of the church and to his holy word. So if the disciples were thinking the way I think they were thinking, they were off base. They saw a large crowd, but what Jesus actually saw was a multitude of hearts, some who already were or would be believers, and many who would never believe in him at all. And at the instant he was there, Jesus knew it all because Jesus can read hearts. 1 Samuel 16, 7, For the Lord sees not as man sees, because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
And this is one of the main reasons that Jesus spoke in parables. In fact, the Bible tells, tells us that Jesus almost always spoke in parables. In parable, for, for I don't know if Greek or, uh, or, or Latin, but parable is a combination of two words. It means to, uh, uh, to lay or place something aside. For instance, like a spiritual truth, say the kingdom of God, set aside something common like, like soil or birds or seeds to make, a, to make a comparison. Everybody knows about farming, but if that is all you know about the parable, then it becomes a riddle. You have to know the spiritual truth combined with the, the common truth. Take a look at this story. A sower goes out to sow. And in those days, the state of the art of sowing was uh, broadcast, broadcast sowing. You've probably seen pictures of the, the farmer. He's got the bag of seed over his shoulders, and he's reaching into it and throwing the seeds out as, uh, as he's walking along the, the field. Yeah, some seeds fell on the path. Some fell in the rocky area, somewhere the weeds were thriving. However, to be a successful farmer, you need to pay attention enough not to land too much of your seed in those other three areas. To be a successful farmer, you had to avoid them and land your seed on the good soil. To aim for those other areas absolutely makes no sense, does it? Anybody here who has tended a garden, anybody here who has even tended a, a lawn understands this. You can irrigate and fertilize your driveway all season. Nothing is going to grow on it. It's the soil that's determinative. You need to sow on good soil to get a good harvest. And I think everybody understands that. We come to verse 10. Then, Jesus, then the disciples came to Jesus and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? So now we know what the disciples were thinking. But keep in mind the privilege we have of 2,000 years of being able to look at this parable and discuss it and, and come to different conclusions. The disciples were living this parable at that time. They're living it. And they're thinking, Jesus, why would you waste this wonderful opportunity to preach and teach to, and, and, and talk about farming. But what they're asking, I think, is not a question. He says, why do you speak in parables? This was more a, an assertion than a question by the disciples, even though in, in my translation it has a question mark at the end of that. I see this as kind of like, you know, when your dad asks this question. You're not uh, going out someplace before your chores are done, are you? Or, or like if your wife says, uh, you're not wearing that shirt with those pants, are you? That is not a question. That's an assertion, isn't it? You're going to be going and changing your shirt or changing your pants. So the disciples are confused. I mean, if... If they weren't confused, they would have never asked this question, right? Earlier in the day, at the very end of chapter 12, verse 50, 
Jesus speaking to the disciples, even as he's motioning to them, he says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So based on that, surely the disciples understand that they're within this this inner circle of Jesus. But Jesus is still being revealed even to them. Even to each one of us, Jesus is still being revealed. And his revelation will continue, my friends, all the way through his life as we walk with the Lord. He will continually be revealed to us until our faith becomes sight. What Jesus is doing is teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. He's trying to teach the disciples this exactly how the kingdom works. Why do some people get it, and why do some people not? Verse 11, he makes this point. To you it has been granted to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. We can notice right from this verse that God is ultimately sovereign in the process of salvation. God is ultimately sovereign even in the process of hearing. Notice he doesn't look at them and say, you opened your ears so you could hear. What Jesus is saying to the disciples is, trust me. Trust me. And he's saying that as a word of blessing. It's a word of blessing. Verse 16, blessed are your eyes for they see and blessed are your ears for they hear. See, Jesus is equating the sovereignty of God with a blessing by God. Why are we even here this morning? It's because God has opened our eyes and our ears and it was a blessing received from God at the moment of our salvation. But does the sovereignty of God conflict with our responsibilities? It does not. Verse 12, For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You see, every time we hear from the word of God, we face a decision. It may be quiet. It may be a little subtle. It may be an earth-shattering decision. But in all cases, the word of God demands a decision. In all cases, the word of God demands an obedience. And in the fallen world that we live in, there's usually going to be a conflict of wills. Will I obey? Will I not obey? The more you have, the more you gain. It's a very simple rule. The closer you walk with the Lord, your relationship matures. The more you know. To him who has not, he will lose even what he has. If you don't walk with the Lord, if you don't talk with the Lord, you will drift away and you will lose even what you had. I mean, the question to all of us is, are we personally and faithfully committed to the kingdom of God? Are we standing firm within the faith? Are we maturing? 
2 Corinthians 13.5 says, we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. Are you growing in maturity? 1 Corinthians 3.2 asks us, are we still on milk when we should be on solid food? Meat. Is your appetite for the word of God growing? When you miss a service or, or a small group or life group or, or, or any other type of spiritual get-together, do you find yourself hungering for the fellowship of the people of the kingdom? Do you find yourself hungering even from a word from the king himself? John said in 1516, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In John 6:37, Jesus says, all who come to me will be received. Those are twin truths of scripture. God is always sovereign. Man is always responsible. And those two truths neither compromise or negate each other. However, when it comes to the invitation of Christ to be your savior, savior, the absence of acceptance is always rejection. Jesus says even what they have will be taken away. The more you reject the Lord and the more you reject his kingdom, the more it becomes less and less likely that you will ever accept the invitation of Jesus and be saved. The writer of Hebrews does a very good job of explaining the steps from, from merely drifting to falling away. Lastly, to a fearful expectation of judgment. Even what they have will be taken away because their habit of rejection, rejecting the kingdom creates a hardening of the heart. Let's get back to verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. We know and understand to hear and not hear, don't we? We know and understand to see or not see. We have all heard, open your eyes, it's right in front of you. I know I hear that a lot. We also hear, why do I have to keep telling you? Don't you ever listen? Many in the crowd heard and saw Jesus physically, but Jesus was never talking about the health of their eyes or the health of their ears. Jesus is always talking about the health of their hearts. In verse 14 and 15, they are fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 6. Now, we remember Isaiah chapter 6, the reenactment of salvation. Remember, Isaiah confesses he is a man of, of unclean lips. He dwells in a, a land of people with, with unclean lips. The seraphim grabs the, the coal and, and, and flies to uh, uh, Isaiah. It touches his lips with the burning coal, and his sin is atoned for. The Lord asks Isaiah, asks, who can I send? Isaiah says, send me. And many times, you know, that's a verse when, when we have missionaries in the crowd and Isaiah responds to the, the send me. But if we read a little further, it, Isaiah 
was being sent to a people who would reject the message of God. And he said, go and say to this people, this is God talking to Isaiah, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is a severe, a severe word of judgment from the Lord, and it is a reminder of what happens when the heart becomes hardened. These people had received clear and understandable words of God through the prophets, and they refused to listen. They refused to see, so what they had was being taken away by the Lord. Therefore, Jesus spoke in parables, because the parables are a message for believers, but they are nothing more than a simple tale for non-believers. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your, your personal commitments, your gender. It doesn't matter the dominant language that you speak. It doesn't matter what the message is. It could be a word from your parents, a word from your spouse, a word from a trusted friend, a teacher. It could even be a word from the Lord God himself. We hear what we want to hear. We see what we want to see. And the Bible tells us it has nothing to do with, his eye, with our eyes. The Bible tells us it has nothing to do with our ears. It has everything to do with our hearts. God says, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, then they would turn and be healed. We all need that, that heart surgery that, e that Ezekiel talked about, where, where Christ moves that old stony heart and, and puts in a heart of flesh, sprinkles with that clean water and it makes us whole again. What a blessing it is to be able to see and see, to hear and to hear. Verse 17. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Isaiah didn't see the Messiah, did he? But you know, as Jesus said this, I know this verse had a profound effect on Peter. Listen to what Peter wrote in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, that's talking about us, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but us. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
Now, I think the disciples are ready to hear the explanation of this parable. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of God, hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. There are some people with such, with such hardened hearts that they will never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can talk to them. They will nod their head. They will, will smile and, and, and make you think they're accepting everything while you talk, all the while completely refusing to hear anything about the gospel with their heart. They have perfect ears. They have perfect eyes that absolutely refuse to see or hear. You alone do not have the power or authority to change their hearts because we were never granted that power or authority. But we still pray for those because we know that, that the Lord God has the power to change a person's heart and bring them to come and believe in him. And so even though we, we talk to these people with, with their arms folded in rejection, we still pray for them that they would come to faith in the Lord. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately hears it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures, endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. These are those with no roots. They hear the word superficially, but it has, doesn't go all the way down into their heart. They get excited about it. They hear, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. And, and he does, but that's all they hear. They never come down to the point where if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with the heart, one believes and with the mouth, one confesses. They hear Jesus loves you, but they never get to the point where Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. They're excited. They hear the word superficially, but nothing of interest. They don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear. But just a quick question on this. Can we lose our salvation? The, the, Bible, the Bible has no room for that, let's say. You cannot lose your salvation. But you can be deceived. In 1 John 2.19, speaks of those who went out from us that it might become plain that they were never of us. So you cannot lose your religion or your faith, but, but you can be deceived thinking that you are of the faith, and it's one of our re own responsibilities as a Christian to stay in the faith. As for what, verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, 
and it proves unfruitful. This is uh, uh, here the cares and the worry of the world come into perspective. This is the, the mixed heart. They make a commitment that produces no fruit because they always want to have it both ways. A perfect example in the Bible is the, the rich young ruler. Remember, he comes to Christ. What, what, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus tells him, you need to put me above your wealth. And he went away sad. He went away sad. He wanted to believe in Jesus. He wanted eternal life, but he didn't think it was worth putting Jesus above his wealth. He wanted it both ways. Verse 23, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the receptive soil. And the sower understands that this is the only soil that will give him any harvest whatsoever. Now, in the time of Jesus, a 5 to 8% return was, was a good return. So, you know, when, when Jesus is saying he is getting a return of a hundredfold, I mean, that's phenomenal. Even 60-fold is phenomenal. Even 30-fold is phenomenal. And you have to remember, this is only on 25% of his land. The other 75 gives nothing. My friends, there is, there's no middle ground here. At the end of time, when the Lord comes again, there is going to be a, a single dividing line with those representing the three soils on one side and only the good soil on the side of the narrow path. So what would the Lord have us do in the service of his kingdom? What would he have us do knowing that not everyone who hears the word of God is going to come to faith in God? Not everybody that sees the Lord's provision is going to see enough to come to faith. Here's what I believe the Lord would have us do. We would preach anyway. We would witness anyway. We would live for Christ anyway. And we would do it faithfully, consistently, comprehensively, earnestly, spiritually, courageously, and finally, truthfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for, for this time. And we thank you for our ability to not only see, but to see. For our ability not only to hear, but to hear and to hear not with just our physical eyes and ears, but to hear with our heart, and to hear through our spiritual heart, Father. We thank you for this time, and we give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.